Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Man, I, I truly believe that God's going to raise some faith today. I truly believe Maybe he's raising faith right now through offering. But I truly believe that God's going God's gonna to take some caps off. What, what I believe has happened to the church, not just our church, but to the church in general, I believe that we've taken and placed God in a box or a jar, if you like to can, and we've taken and put a lid on what we think God is capable of doing. And we say that God can do anything, but we believe that he does it on our terms. So I want us to be set free this morning of your own terms. Be set free this morning from what you think God is capable of. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far above, abundantly above, anything we ask, think, or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. That same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. That is the Holy Spirit. We have resurrection power, Paul says in Romans, living in us. So if you can think it, God is able to do far above it. You can say, Lord, give me the moon. That's just a drop in the bucket. Lord, give me the planet. That's just a drop in the bucket. Lord, give me the solar. That's just, I mean, I, I could keep going. But if you can imagine it, God is able to do far greater. So I, I, don't, I don't know who this is for, man, but I need us walking out of this place today, faith filled because what i believe is going to happen in the coming months and coming weeks is god's going to challenge us and it's going to require great faith he's going to challenge us and if we don't have faith and the cool thing is it doesn't take a lot of faith jesus said man if you just have the faith the size of a mustard seed i don't know how to do that with my voice (laughs) but faith the size of a mustard seed You can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it will be done. It doesn't take a lot of faith, but we need faith. And we need to take caps off of what our faith is capable of. Some of us have faith that God can heal, but we don't have faith that God can provide. Some of us have faith that God will provide because we've seen it time and again, but we don't have faith that God's going to give us a good diagnosis, that that, that, that he's going to pull us through this circumstance in our health. Some of us have faith that God can heal and provide, but we don't have faith that he's going to walk through us with trial. It's yes to all of it. It's it's yes to all of it. If you can imagine it, God's able. If you could think it, God's able. If you could speak it, God's able. I'm not saying name it, claim it, because if you if if I am, I would say go down to the Toyota dealer or the just name a truck for me. I, I don't mind, but <laughs> I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is our faith is able to do more than we could ever imagine. And we got to take caps off of it. We have to. If, God, if, we, if we are going to allow God to do what he wants to do here in this body, then we have to take caps off our faith. Because the reality is it's always our level of faith that keeps God from moving. This is completely bonus. I'm talking about Nehemiah 10 and 13 today. But Jesus went to his hometown, and it says... It says that he was not able to do a lot of miracles because of unbelief. He healed a few sick people. Like, well, that's a pretty big miracle. Yes, it is. But the reality is Jesus wanted to do more in their lives than what their faith would allow him to do. God always wants to do more in us than what we allow him to do. So what I'm asking us to do this morning is to take the caps off of our faith so we can allow God to do what he wants in us. Because it's far more than what you want him to do in you. And it's far a a greater blessing. 
I'm excited because I'm, 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 I'm looking forward. I'm excited for what God did this morning in the prayer service. I'm excited for what God did this morning in the worship service. I'm excited for what God's going to do this morning through the word. I'm also excited for what God's going to do between now and the end of the year. But it takes us saying, God, do what you want. I, I, I have the faith the size of a mustard seed, and I believe that you're just going to blow my mind. I, I was praying Thursday, and um, I was praying Thursday, and I, the Lord just started laying people on my heart to pray. And uh, um, I, I, I just I texted my wife and said, "Hey, you need to text this person and just say the Lord's praying." And and um, I didn't realize the gravity of that text, but the Lord laid someone on my heart. We I prayed for her about a certain situation. My wife obeyed me for the first time. I'm joking. <laughs> no. But she texted that person, and the response is, wow, I needed that exactly right now. You have no idea how much I needed that. It was amazing. And I stopped. I started crying. And um, ever since I became a dad, I cry over everything. Pampers, uh, like diapers. I mean, like it just anything involving a baby. But um, where was I? Okay. So I started crying because I was like, that's how much God loves us. To tell someone else, that, like he, he just laid on my heart randomly, stop me in our tracks, pray for this person. And God loves you that much. You have no idea the amount of times that the Lord's laid on my heart to pray for you, not just me, but different people. I guarantee you, you're walking throughout your day and the Lord said, hey, you need to pray for that person. That's God. Just stop and do it. Because that's how much God loves that person. You know how many times people pray for you and you're not even aware of it? I, I normally don't text people when I pray for them unless the Lord tells me to. Then I do it. Um, but sometimes there's nothing wrong with sending an encouraging text saying, hey, you need, to, you need to do this. But what I'm getting at is just step out in faith. I had no idea that she actually needed that other than the fact that the Lord said she really needs this right now. He straight up said that to me. She really needs this. I'm like, okay, okay. I have nothing to lose. So this morning, we are in Nehemiah chapter 10 and 13. So we're going to wrap up Nehemiah today. You're like, but we haven't gone verse by verse through the whole thing. You're right, because there's whole chapters of nothing but names. And I'm not going to do that to you guys nor am I going to do that to myself. I can't get the guttural growl and mucusy filled throat enough to say Hebrew names accurately. So um, we're going to, but we're going to look in chapter 13, which is the last chapter, and we're going to look in chapter 10. And you might say there's a lot of verses here, and it's actually not that many verses. It's just Nehemiah made his verses very long. So we're going to look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 10, 28 through 31. Let's read it real quick. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all the sons and daughters who were able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servants of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and the decrees of the Lord. We promise, and, and so I'm going to stop for a moment. Chapter 10 is filled with the things they promised. I'm going to read a couple of them, just two of them. But I would encourage you to go through and finish reading chapter 10. Read the rest of Nehemiah. I read through it this week a couple times, but... but this is just a couple promises that, they, that they, they, they swore oath to God with a curse. Lord, if we break these, you can curse us. You know, that, that's uh, pretty serious. They, they, they were pretty serious about the law of God. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and cancel all debts. So, you see, in Nehemiah chapter 10, there is a, 
fervency. Like we've, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen a hunger for the things of God in the Israelites. We've seen a hunger for these, like they would wake up early and they would, and they, we, 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 they would work, wake up early. They would erect a, a platform and they would just listen to the law. They would worship hearing the law. Then, then they would repent after hearing the law. They were hungry for God. Some of them got up earlier. Last week, we talked about how they heard a command and they just went and did it. Like the festival, they didn't, they, 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 they just said, you know what? I know it's like in a week, but we got to do this festival. We got to celebrate what God's delivered us from. And there is this fervency for the things of God in Nehemiah. And then we step in to Nehemiah chapter 10. And they're taking it up a notch. They're like, God, we love your law so much that we, we swear on an oath and a curse that we will keep everything all 613 laws, Lord, we're going to do it all. We, we love you so much, God. And then we skip to chapter 13, and we're going to read 4 through 9, 15 through 18, and then 30 and 31. It says, before this, so Nehemiah had to go back. Just to give you a, a preference, he had to go back because he was there on loan from King Xerxes. He came back to King Xerxes, and then he asked to return again to Jerusalem. He stepped back into the governorship. But it says, before this happened, Eliashib, the priest who had been appointed as supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of our God, and who was also relative of Tobiah, and the plot thickens, had converted a large storage room and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. Now, you might say, why does that name sound so familiar? Well, if you remember in the early chapters of Nehemiah, there were two antagonists of the, the narrative, and their names are Sam Ballot and Tobiah. Both were very vocal in their threats against Nehemiah and the children of Israel against what God was doing in the rebuilding of the law, of, of the wall. So Tobiah was one of these people that were saying like, hey, you're, you're a heap of rubble. Man, even if a fox walks on, it's going to crumble. You guys are nothing. He was, he was just sending out threats like crazy. He was threatening to attack them. He was threatening to do all these things to the people of Israel. And then a priest gives him a storeroom in the temple of God. The room had previously been used for storing the grain offerings, the frankincense, the various articles of the temple, and the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil, which were prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, as well as the offering for the priest. I was not in Jerusalem at that time, for I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked his permission to return. When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Eliashib's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very upset and threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. To the left, to the left. Everything you own in a box to the left. No one gets it because no one listened to Beyonce. But he did that to him. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified and brought back the articles of God's temple, the grain offerings, and the frankincense. In which those days I saw men of Judah treading out. And so we just skipped down to 15. So he demanded that, that it be purified. This happened in the temple. And then he's walking around Jerusalem on the Sabbath, and he's starting to notice some stuff. And we're, we're, we're doing a little compare and contrast. But he says, in those days, so he, this is after he returned, I saw the men of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath. Wait, 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 wait. They just made a vow to keep the Sabbath holy with a curse. This isn't making sense. They were also bringing grain, loading it on donkeys, and bringing their wine, grapes, and figs, and all sorts of produce to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. Some men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were also bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem at that. So I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath, the Sabbath in this evil way? I asked. Wasn't it 
Just the sort of thing that your ancestors did that caused our God to bring all this trouble upon us and our city. Now you are bringing even more upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. So we skip down to 30. Nehemiah made them stop. So I purged out everything foreign and assigned tasks to the priests and the Levites, making certain that each knew his work. I also made sure that the supply of wood for the altar and the first portions of the harvest were brought in at the proper times. Remember this in my favor, oh my God. I know that was a lot of scripture, but I want us, I want us to see. I wanted us to see the compare and contrast of what happens when we hold ourselves to a standard that God didn't put on us. I want to leave you with two thoughts today. And um, you're gonna, before we get to the second thought, I just want to encourage you and I want you to know that it's the same as the first thought. So it's actually one point, but like they're just going to click on it twice so it looks new. But it's it's two different it's two different perspectives. But I want to talk to you from the topic. It's an all in life. It's an all in life. This walk with God is an all in life, and we're going to talk about oaths today. An oath is a solemn promise, often invoking a divine witness regarding one's future action or behavior. Here's the deal with doing. You can never do enough. Israelites were on fire for God. And they made an oath to God in that passionate moment. But the good news is, God doesn't care. Because the other good news is, God knows that you can't keep it. You can make all the promises you want to God, all the O's you want to God, God knows you can't keep them. Because it's not about what we can do, it's about who we are. There's a difference, because what we do will flow out of who we are. The Israelites were trying to do and change who they were, but I can tell you this, if you change who you are, then what you do will follow. It's all in life. It's not about doing more, it's, it's just about being with Jesus. It's about abiding with Christ. The Israelites, in, in, in good intention, and all of us, we get, have good intentions when we do things, but they had good intentions and they took an oath with a curse, saying, God, I'm going to follow everything you ever t- said to, to do. I'm just going to do it. Like, and, and Lord, if I ever break it, you can curse me. That's a scary thing to say. <laughs> And God didn't ask them to do that. They had good intentions, but good intentions are not what God wants. He just wants us. It's all in. And so, in good intentions, they made these oaths. But God knows that we can't keep oaths. He knows that we can't keep promises. You guys probably broke promises this week. I know I broke promises this week. I would say, yeah, Scott, I'm going to play tea time with you later. And then I would get home and I'm swamped or whatever. And so I still play with her or whatever, but it wasn't, you know, what I'm saying is we don't keep promises. I try to keep the promises I make to my children, but quite frankly, I'm getting to the point where I try not to make promises to my children. I I use this phrase, I'll think about it, (laughs) because it keeps me from making a promise that I might have to break later. So... And actually, the Bible talks about making promises and oaths in James chapter 5, and we're going to get to that here in a moment. But in their good intentions, they made these oaths, and then guess what? Just a few chapters later, they turn around and they desecrate the temple of God. And you might think, well, wow, that is horrible. Man, do they not remember that Tobiah was a jerk? I mean, do they not remember what Tobiah did to them? Do, do they not remember these, these resounding threats that he made while they were, like, how can they forget? And yet, they gave 
a room away. And you know what? The, the, the reality is the room they gave away messed up everything at the temple. It messed it up because the temple is designed and the offerings are designed to take care of the people that work there. The Levites, they didn't have land to work, so they, the, the people made offerings. And so the gatekeepers, the Levites, the singers, the priests, they all got to eat out of a tithe to the temple. And they gave it away. So when Nehemiah gets back, go read it. He walks into to Jerusalem and he sees Levites out in the fields working. He sees gatekeepers and singers out in the fields working. And they're like, what? why are they working? Like they should be eating off the tithe to the temple. And then he gets into the temple and realizes the room that, that was supposed to be assigned for their food was given to Tobiah. They messed up everything. How God wants to take care of his people was messed up because they allowed the enemy in. And before we jump to judging the Israelites... 1 Corinthians 6, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You're not your own. You were bought with the price, that price being the blood of Christ. My question is, we might not have rooms to give away, but we do have room to give away in our life. Have you made room for the enemy? Because it's real easy to look at them and think, wow, they are idiots. It's not really wise. He was just threatening them four chapters ago. And then we're turning around and making room in our lives for bitterness and unforgiveness and dissension and all the acts of the flesh and lust and and greed. And we make room. And, And you might say, well, I'm only really bitter towards that person. Here's the deal about bitterness, though. Even if it's just towards one person, here pretty soon after it takes root, you start getting bitter to more than one person. And here pretty soon, everyone in your life, they're like, wow, they're really... Or negativity. Negativity isn't a sin. I don't think that the Lord doesn't say that, but it's kind of like negativity. Like, it filters into every area of your life when you look at things. Or unforgiveness. It's just contagious. And the thing is, you can give the enemy just a touch of room, just, just a foot, foot in the door. And, and he's not a gentleman like the Holy Spirit who waits for you. The Holy Spirit stands at the door and knocks. He knocks and he knocks and he knocks because he loves you and he waits patiently for you and he knocks. And then when you open up, he steps in and then he only goes to where you allow him to go. He wants to do more than what we allow him to do in our lives. But the enemy goes, Oh, I got my foot in the door, and he's the ultimate salesman. He will convince you that whatever that sin is a choice or whatever that mental um, mental uh, like bitterness, unforgiveness of choice is, he'll convince you that's a good idea. You're justified. You should be. Like, you know what they did to you? Man, they've been treating you wrong for a long time. He'll convince you of that. And then here pretty soon, he's in the door. And then he closes it behind him. And then he kind of just follows you around in your mind. And then, like, oh, yeah, 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 your marriage. Oh, this is a great room. This is a great room. Um, Did you know, like, your wife, the other day, you know, she gave you that look. And, you know, the reality is she might have been just frustrated or mad at something else. But then he's like, you know, that was about you. And then he starts playing this false narrative out about your wife or your husband. And then here pretty soon, you're mad or irritated at them. And then he just follows you around, follows you around in your life. And instead of giving him rooms, we give him room. And, and, and he, he just deposits part of himself in every area of our life. And then suddenly, he's like, oh, your relationship with your children, you know, they're really insubordinate. And he's like, no, they're actually just four years old. You know, like... um. So you need to come down on them, and you need to, you know, and, and, and he makes you punish them instead of discipline them. And, and he affects, and he grows, and he grows, and he affects. And that's why the Bible says don't let bitterness take root. That's why he says our, 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 our enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't just nibble on a part of you. He wants to devour all of you. That's why we 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they have divine power to tear down strongholds. So we take captive every thought and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we're ready to punish every act of disobedience once our obedience is complete. Like, when we get these thoughts that are not from God, we have to stop and say, no, I rebuke this in the name of Jesus. Get out of my head. I had to do it this morning <laughs> during worship. I'm like, Lord, I rebuke every thought that's not from you right now. Because the enemy wants to filter into your life. The, they, the Israelites gave him a room. Tobiah had no place in the temple. Bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, like, like worldly anger, not, not righteous indignation. Lust, these things, these acts of the flesh have no place in the walk with God. And we have to kick them out. And it's a process to kick out. It doesn't just happen. I don't want us to have a, like so often churches give this false narrative, just give it to Jesus. And then, you know, like you're just going to walk out of here. You were a crack addict and you're never going to crave crack. You know, like, no. The, the Sanctification is the process of the Holy Spirit over the course of your life that he makes you like Jesus. It's not that you'll ever be sinless, it's that you sin less and less over the course of your life as you allow the Holy Spirit to make you like Jesus. You have to allow him. And a good place to start is saying, God, I want what you want in my life and in my heart. And then as we start to pray that, he starts to say, Ryan, you need to ask for forgiveness. For instance, guys, I never want to paint a picture of myself where I have it all together. And I pray that I have it. And some of you guys are like, you know, you haven't. <laughs> you know, it's, thank you. Uh, but the reality is I'm faulted just like all of us are. And um, Ben and I were talking uh, Tuesday morning, and he said something. And he, he wasn't directed towards me. He just said, hey, I think we should guard against this and everything. And the Holy Spirit just started convicting me. And I knew that it was what I needed to hear that moment. And he didn't even know. But I said, okay. And the Lord's like, you need to ask for forgiveness. I'm like, all right. Those are good conversations. They are good. They're just awful. They're hard. So I said, Ben, you are 100% right. You know this? I said, I don't know what you were thinking. I don't know who, but, but you are right. And I said, I want to start with this. Forgive me because I'm guilty of the very thing that you just said. And then I went through a list of like 15 people. There's a few people I still have to contact, like three people I still have to contact. But I had to stop and say, I was wrong. Forgive me. I said things, I was wrong. Forgive me. And I could tell you that it's liberating when you kick things out. When you kick things out, I always find it interesting that when, when, um, or when I write a message and I'm like, wow, God, why do I always have to deal with the very stuff we're talking about on Sunday? Like, you don't have to bring it into my life. I don't have to personally know, but it's all in life. If you want God, that means you have to kick out. If you want God to move in your life, that means you have to make room for him in your life. What are we making room for? Nehemiah kicked him out. He said, get this stuff out of here. It doesn't belong here. Some of us need to take and, 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 and kick the enemy out because it doesn't belong here. It doesn't belong in our life. It's controlling us, and it keeps us from moving where God wants us to go. It keeps us from doing what God wants us to do, and it's controlling. And it messes up the flow of the Lord. God wants to bless you. He wants to take care of you. But when the enemy's active in you, it, it messes up that flow. It messes it up. It puts a stop in it. But there's hope. There's hope. But the truth is it's not an oath or a promise. Because how, how does this sound? Tell me if this sounds familiar. Lord, I promise never to do that again. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. Father, I promise I'm going to start doing this. Anyone? Anyone? God, I, 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 I swear, I'm going I'm to I'm get up early, and I'm going I'm to read the Bible. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get through the whole Bible by the end of the week. Starting in Genesis tomorrow. You know, like, God, I'm going to do this. And then when we, when we make it through Genesis chapter 2 by Friday night, we're like, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And God's like, why? I didn't tell you to do it. You're like putting stuff, you're making promises that I didn't make, tell you to make. It's not, and I, want, I, want, I want James to weigh in on this. Because James chapter 5, verse 12, it says, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath, a solemn promise, by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Wow, I've really thought about this a lot this week. I've thought about it a lot this week. I'm like, God, why would James, James, Jesus' little brother, James, this, this epistle to the, to the church in Jerusalem, this theological bomb of truth that is, has such good Christian living practical advice, and not just advice, but, but just life-transforming truth in it. Why would he say at the end of his epistle, but most of all, about an oath? Because like, you might think that's not a big deal, but the, you got to understand, when James wrote this, how church was done, it wasn't done like we do it here. We'll, we'll read verses, and then we'll talk about verses, whether we go through um, verse by verse or, or topically, whatever. We read verses and then we talk about it. But what they did was they would take the whole epistle and say, all right, guys, listen up, and they would read it in one setting. Think about that. All of Acts, 28 chapters, one setting. All of Luke, the longest book in the New Testament, one setting. All of, like, you think our services go long? You think I'm long-winded? Man, like, imagine just reading, like, and they would read this in one setting, and then they, they would send it to the next house church, and they would read it in one setting, because this, this instruction was for the church, and that's how they got it around, and then they would help each other live it out, but they would read the whole thing in one setting. So with that, under, with that said, I want us to understand the, the gravitas and the, the, the practical truth that's in James, chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 9. No, but chapter one, perseverance through trial. God does not tempt, nor does he tempt, but um, each one is tempted when by their own evil desires they're dragged away and enticed. Don't just listen to the word, be doers of the word. Chapter two, show me your faith and I'll show you my deeds because good deeds are overflow of a relationship with Jesus Christ and faith in Christ. That's what he's getting at. Chapter three, um, tame the tongue. The tongue is set on fire by hell and, and you have to tame it because um, the life and death are in the power of the tongue. Chapter four, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Um, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I mean, all this stuff is in, in James. Chapter 5, have patience in suffering. And then pray with faith. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It says, confess your sins one to another, and you will be healed. That's all in James. But he says at the end, most of all. Out of all that, most of all, never take an oath? What is he getting at? Is anybody? No, any, anyone? No, I'm joking. I, like, no, James is saying, I want us to get this. James is saying, live in such a way, live in such a way that you never need to take an oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you are on fire for Jesus and the Holy Spirit is transforming you and you are living in step with the Spirit, then you don't need to take an oath. You don't need to invoke a higher power because a higher power lives in you. When you say you're going to do something, you do it. When you say you're not going to do something, you don't do it. Like, I'm not going to go home and, and, and watch rated R movies because I know what it's going to lead to. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to. Just don't do it. You don't need to swear. You don't need to promise. You just need to live in such a way that it's enough. That's what James is getting at. Just live your life in such a way. When you say you're going to do something, do it. Yes or no. This is a heavy thing. 
But we take oaths, and then we put things on ourselves that God never put on us. The Israelites took an oath and swore upon a curse that God could curse them if they disobeyed the law. But God, good thing that God didn't hold them to that because they broke it in like less than a year. We often put things on ourselves, legalisms and law, that God does not ask us to have. He says, abide in me and I'll abide in you. It's not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus already did. Jesus did everything we need. That's it. So just rest in Christ. So often in our struggle against sin, we focus on the sin more than we focus on our Savior. We ask for forgiveness a thousand times for the same sin. We, we mess up, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. And then t- like two days later, you're like, I can't believe I did that, God, forgive me. The reality is it's done and over with. God forgave you. Focus on the Savior. He saved you. It's done and over with. Focus, move forward. Focus on him. Like just rest in him that his, your salvation is secure in Christ. He's got you. He's got you. You're, that situation you're facing, God's got you. That, that boss that you have, God's got you. The, 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 that, that, that need, uh, financial need, God's got you. He's got you. Just live in such a way. Be on fire for the Lord. Abide in him. James hits on this. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Just go after Jesus. Go after Jesus. The thing about oaths, and I hit on it earlier, but they, we make them with good intention. God, I'm going to do this. God, I'll never do this again. God, I promise this. And we, we make them with good intention. Usually, we make them when we're tired we, or, or when we just messed up or we're on a spiritual high where, like, the Lord just really hit us hard in, 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 a, in a moment of, of the uh, at an altar or whatever, we just really feel the Holy Spirit when we start making promises. That's where that's where the children of Israel were. They were on a, this spiritual high. We're like, God, it's so good, and I just want to serve Him for the rest of my life. And sometimes we just got to step back and say, Okay, God, let me keep my head because you usually make dumb decisions when you're like really excited or really down. It's in the middle where you're like, Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I shouldn't. You know, like you. When, when, you, when you get into a fight with your wife, husbands, you'll go out and spend stupid amounts of money to make it up to her, and then she goes, oh, this is so nice. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you drained our bank account and we can't eat this week. You know, like, um, no, uh, what, what, and what happens is because we can never live up to the promise, the promise made with good intention leads to bitterness against God. And then we think God is judging us for not doing something that he never told us to do. And he's saying, just abide with me. I, I'm like, I'm glad that you want to read my word, like the whole thing tonight. It's great. Well, let's, maybe let's start with a chapter. And let's just, just come after me because I love you. And James says, don't make an oath so you don't sin. Because when you make an oath, you say, God, I promise to do this. So when you don't keep your oath, you sin. You sin for something that God never told you to do or not to do. And so you're not just sinning, but you sin sin. So if you say, God, I'm never, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to sin like this again. So when you sin like that again, you sin and then you sin again by breaking your oath to God. You double sin, and God's like, just, just, just stop. Just stop. Above all, just live in such a way that you just abide in me. Just come after me. Just come after me. Don't take an oath. Just go after Jesus. Because God, God doesn't want you to sin. He understands that you can't keep it. He understands that. So pressure's off. Praise God. Everyone just just take a deep breath. (sighs) Yeah, pressure's off. You don't have to keep those promises. And maybe some of us today need to repent of the promises we made to God. Good intention promises. 
but the Bible tells us not to. That's why when we take faith promises here in a couple weeks for, for missions, there's a clause in it, as the Lord allows. So it's, it's not like, I'm going to do this. It's, Lord, I'm going to do this as you allow me to do this. It's different. But God wants us to be free from the mindset so we can abide in him the way he wants to have a relationship with us. Because the truth is, it will lead to bitterness when you keep constantly fail at keeping that promise and you're going to feel guilty for something God never told you to do. The second thought I want to leave you with is, it's an all-in life. It's an all-in life. I know some of you guys are actually writing that down again, which is awesome. You can just put times two if you wanted to. It's the same point. But we just had a crash course when oaths go sideways. The Israelites made an oath, completely failed to keep it, and then the very things, Lord, we won't buy or sell on the Sabbath, we won't give anything away, and they, they just, everything that they promised to do, like in the few short verses we read in chapter 13, they broke. They just broke. And then on top of that, they didn't promise to desecrate the temple, or they wouldn't, but they did, because they did swear, Lord, we're going to keep every. Every law, every preset, everything that you commanded through the, your servant Moses, we're going to do, God. I'm like, oh, oh, Jesus. That's a, that's a big one. But I want to talk to you about another all in life. We established that we just got to go all in. It's not about oath keeping. It's just about abiding. Abide in Christ and he'll abide in you. It's just about being with Jesus. But in order for us to be with Jesus, we got to understand that God went all in. God went all in. I don't know if we ever really truly stop and think about how God went all in, but he stepped out of eternity, existing forever before and forever after time. And he stepped in to a construct that he created called time, and he subjected himself to humanity out of eternity. For the first time, he aged. For the first time, he got cold. For the first time, he had to eat. For the first time in his existence, which he's always existed, he needed. God subjected himself. He went all in for you. Not even on a sure bet. He went all in for the chance that he can know you and have a relationship with you. He lived for 33 and a half years on this earth. He had 30 years of development. And just to lead up to three and a half years of ministry for three hours of purpose on a cross to be raised back to life, to be set back into eternity where he belonged. He laid down his entire deity just so he could have the chance of having a relationship with you and your family. It was an all-in life. And God made an oath in order for that. That's the culmination of the oath that God made. But the oath God made is in Genesis 15, 9 through 18. And God tells us not to make oaths because we can't keep them. But this is the only oath like, if God's made it, it's going to be kept. God can't lie. So it says, so the promise he made to Abraham, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he said, your, 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 your seed is going to be like as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore, and all the earth will be blessed because of you. And then to confirm it, he said, so the Lord said to him, this is in Genesis 15, 9 through 18, there's not scripture for it, um, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram, or Abraham, brought all three of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the house opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Um, then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, and Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick 
and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. This is Egypt when they were slaves. And that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. Afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come out will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites have not yet reached its full measure. When the sun has set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the two pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. And I want to talk to you a moment about this. Just a moment. Because I want some response time. I might seem kind of weird, but what would happen in Abram's time is a king would go into a land and he would conquer. And the conquered king, what would happen is he would come before the conquering king and he would make a sacrifice. And he would normally split he would split cows or bulls or whatever in half and lay it before the conquering king. And this conquered king would walk between the two halves and he would make this oath and covenant with the conquering king. And essentially he said, and this is what the oath meant, if I ever rebel or betray you, you can do to me what I did to these. It's pretty serious. But you notice that Abram didn't walk through the two halves. God went through the halves. So the Lord made an oath with himself concerning Abram. Because he knew that Abram, in just 15 years, is going to break the oath and try to make a child through the slave Hagar, and Ishmael would be born. He knew that Abram... All good intentions. He did that to expediate the covenant that God made with him. Good intentions. He failed. But God made an oath. And because God made an oath, guess what? Ishmael became a great people. Isaac became a great people. Because God does not go back on his word. He made an oath. He said, your seed will become a great nation. And to this day... Pretty much all the peoples of the Middle East are of Ishmael's descent or Isaac's descent. A great people. God doesn't go back on his oath. God made a covenant with Abram concerning that promise. And I don't want to hit on something we hit a couple years, a couple weeks ago. But the truth is, God's promises are fulfilled because Isaac might have been the promised child, but he was not the child of the promise. Jesus Christ was the culmination of that promise. And God's, all of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ with the resounding yes. So when God says, I am your healer, he's your healer. When God says, I am your provider, he's your provider. When God says that I walk with you through everything, he walks with us through everything. When God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, I'm with you always. Take it to the bank. You can take it to the bank. So what I want to do, God went all in so we can go all in. And it's not about making promises. I don't want us to come up here and make promises. I want us to respond as the Holy Spirit leads. I think some of us need to repent from the promises we made because they're holding you captive. They're holding you captive from what God wants to do in your life. So let's, let's all stand. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I pray right now that as we move into this time of response, 
Lord, that you raise our faith, that you set us free. Lord, some of us have put you in a box and Lord, you want to bust out of that box. So remove the caps that we placed on our faith. Some of us have made promises to you that we can't keep, but we keep trying and we keep failing. And we're getting bitter, we're getting frustrated, we're, we're irritated that we can't. And Lord, you never called us to. And so Lord, I pray that you deal with our hearts. If we need to repent, maybe we made promises to people in here that we can't keep. We need to repent. Let's repent. But ultimately, Lord, I pray that we walk out of here with a new understanding of what you want. You just want us. It's all in. It's not about promises. It's just about being with you, Jesus. It's about going after you, Jesus. And you promise that if we draw near to you, you come after us. It's this beautiful thing. Lord, you're not hiding yourself from us. If you're here today, and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life, I would love to make that introduction because Jesus Christ loves you. And I believe there are people here today that need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And and it's simple. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again. God didn't complicate it. He wants a relationship with you. He's placed purpose on you. He's given you, he's put a purpose on you and he loves you so much that he himself went all in for a chance to know you. So if you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ or maybe you've asked him into your life a long time ago, but you really haven't been living for him. We want to reintroduce you because the cool thing about Jesus is it doesn't matter how fast or how hard you run from him, you just turn around, he's right there because he loves you. He cares for you. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Ryan, you've hit the nail on the head. I made all these promises. I can't keep them and I'm frustrated and I'm, it's robbing me of joy. It's making me resent. It's making me start to resent God, all this stuff. You might not need to pray with a person but you might just need to find a place to pray. The front is open. Find a place to respond because as you respond, the Lord's going to set you free. Your, your, Your freedom is on the other side of obedience. The Israelites could have stayed in Egypt even though the Lord set them free, but they would have stayed slaves. They had to take the step out of Egypt to be free. The Lord wants to set you free, but it's about obedience. If the Lord's telling you to respond, respond. 